Diana. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. I'm so delighted to be here. Yes, yes. And uh, I know you just got back from a, a lovely vacation. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today um, after probably a, a long week of getting caught up. So thank you for your time. Um, I'm excited to talk to Diana today because um, her and I connected through a mutual friend, Jasmine, shout out to Jasmine, just recently. And I mean, this, the synergies between our work, undeniable. But um, Diana, I feel like you bring a really unique perspective um, around First of all, your lived experience, but also the work that you do um, within the, the the coaching and advocacy space. And so tell us a little bit more about who you are, your origin story, what's called you to this work, and maybe a little bit about like the impact you're looking to make on the world, your purpose with the work. Absolutely. So I'm Dana Y.K. Chan, and I'm a personal branding and self-advocacy coach and speaker and also a facilitator at My Marketability. So what I've really specialized in doing the last decade is really helping people with their career transitions and advancement by really position, positioning themselves for success with a strong personal brand. And so what I've really been known for is really helping people with differentiate their unique value, mastering their messages, and communicating with confidence. And my mission has always been around empowering people to own their voice, their value, their visibility with confidence, allowing them to shine brightly and thrive in their careers and business. And what has really influenced this work, Angela, is because of my upbringing. So growing up, I lived back and forth in Hong Kong and Canada. And I actually struggled with fitting in, struggled with embracing my own identity. And um, even when I went to university, I struggled with even speaking up in class. I had the softest voice in class. So what really influenced my work, what I do today, is all about standing out by really owning who you really truly are. Really unlocking your uniqueness so that you can really make a true impact in this world. And it's because of those struggles that I've had, uh, why I do this work today. And what's so fulfilling for me, the work I do today, is a lot of the work oftentimes around self-advocacy is that we need to really first believe in our own value of what we bring to the table. And in order to do that, we need to really be able to identify what our unique value is. Mm. And then in order to really voice our own value. So those are one of the things that I'm really passionate about today is really helping people understand what they bring to the world so that they can make a huge impact. I love that. And I think it's just such a unique perspective that you're bringing to the work. Um, again, I, I talk about your lived experience, which I do want to talk about contextually, um, but also this idea of embracing your identity when it comes to building your brand. And I think that applies for people who are working within organizations or people who have decided to to launch their own businesses. Um, you know, there's many women of color who are leaving corporate America, for example, to carve out a space of their own. And so before I jump into some specific questions, I really would love to understand a little bit about the context, right? Because you're, I'm in the US, you're in Canada. We um, often talk about things like, um, you know, our lived experiences as women of color. Tell me a little bit about that context within Canada, because that's something that I would love to learn about. And I'm sure other folks who are in the U.S. might want to understand that context as well. Mm -hmm. So for me, the neighborhood I live in right now is actually highly Asian populated. So meaning I actually don't feel as much of a 
racism bias stereotype. However, growing up when I was younger, where I lived in London, Ontario, um, the Asian population was much smaller. So I actually, growing up in, during my school years, I actually faced a lot of racism and bias where people would tell me to go back home to, to China or whatever. There are all these comments I would get. But now that I live in a neighborhood where it's highly Asian uh, populated here, I don't feel that way. Now, what's interesting, I would say, I actually recently encountered an experience that I actually faced while I was on vacation, Angela, where I actually encountered a situation where during our zipline tour with my family, uh, we were with another group, uh, another family there, and they were a Caucasian family. And I could tell instantly the energy the moment I tried to be friendly and say hi to them that there was this wall of judgment. Uh, judgment. And I think I, I, I think I how I felt that time was based on our skin color of how we look there. And, and I really tried to be be friendly because we're this is like a family outing there. And I faced two incidents where it kind of left me uncomfortable and I wasn't sure how to deal with it. One was the comment made by the father of, oh, I didn't know Canadians are so loud. And that was a comment because I was cheering my kids on when they were going down the, the zip line there. And another comment that I faced, uh, it was actually by their daughter, a six-year-old daughter, uh, during our last uh, human roller coaster ride. It was a thrilling ride where you're supposed to like flying and my kids were so excited and my son was like, oh my goodness, mommy, this is so exciting. Um, is this going to fly us back home? And I received an instant comment by this six-year-old that this is going to fly you back home to China. And I had this moment, I was like, whoa, what just happened here? And it got me really thinking, right? Like probably maybe not intentional. It may be the naive comment, but it got me thinking of the influence impact that we have of our surroundings. And is that influenced by the society, by parents or school system? And it really got me thinking how to deal with that situation there. For me, I did not deal with that situation because at that time, because of it was a family outing. Had it been the parent who said something, I would have definitely spoken out there. So I just thought that was a good context. Like that's how I felt. Like I felt in like recent situation where I was like, wow, I have not faced something like this in the past decade. I definitely want to hold space for you in this very personal scenario that you encountered. I mean, I just, um, I'm, I'm so sorry you and your family had to, uh, face that. And, and I know when I've been in situations where there's been prejudice or racism, or a bias against me, you just like your brain shuts down. I I've really have been working on that like regulation because mm. what happens to me, I just I shut down and I've yeah. learned how to take a moment and process it and then and then be able to advocate and speak up for myself uh, yeah. or ask for clarification, right? Because when you when you shine a light on the behavior or the comment, then you know you're almost in a very uh, challenging but friendly way, asking them to explain themselves. Um, and there's some self-reflection that goes into that. So yeah. I would love to hear about the advocacy part because I have my own experience, but what are some things people can do, leaders can do as as parents within organizations to speak up for others, but also can, what can individuals do to advocate for themselves? Hmm. Such a great question. That was a very loaded question. <laughs> That's such a great question. Like how to advocate for yourself and for others, right? Like, and I think yes. at the first step, I would say part of it is we need to, one is acknowledge that bias exists. We need to acknowledge that. I think that's part of advocating. Like we need to understand there is that, is um, that 
they're, whether it's implicit or explicit by recognizing, that's really the first step, I would say, is just recognizing, educating ourselves about the different types of bias. Um, that's the first step there. Because by doing that, then we're like, okay, well, what can we do about it? Right. The next step is, is really around, okay, developing our voice, which to me, this took me years, I would say as well, even developing own voice to be able to, to speak up, right. Strengthening our own mm-hmm. communication skills, building our confidence, whether it's through our own thoughts, our own experience, our own feelings. Right. I, I would say it's really for me the last two years where I started sharing more of my own personal stories as well. So it really took a lot of courage as well in developing that voice there. The other piece is really around, um, validating uh, the experiences mm. by actually listening to others, mm. right? I think part of it is we need to learn to listen, understand, see things from different perspectives and supporting others as well, whether you've experienced or not. I think that's yes. part of it, acknowledging that there. And I think a big part of something that I've really been doing a lot is learning how to be more assertive as mm. well, right? When we notice something like even this is something in this recent encounter like I didn't actually speak up because it was with a child that I think that if it was someone like an adult like I would be even more assertive but like can you tell me a little bit more of what why you mm-hmm. said that right like really questioning that as well and responding as well right mm. and I think this is where the big piece as around is we need to also as organizations or as leaders is cultivating um like allies and supporters as well in helping fight that, that bias there. Like even for me being like, I think being, um, I guess, Asian Canadian here, mm-hmm. uh, it's important for me to also seek understanding of like Asian American experiences as well. Like even mm-hmm. though they're similar, there could be differences, right? And get, get. Yes. And, but also learning from different cultures, right? Whether it's black, brown or whatever, we, we need to mm-hmm. understand. And I think the other thing is being a coach is being curious and asking questions. Right. That's part of being curious is seeking clarification, curiosity, trying to see things from different perspective, encouraging us mm-hmm. to really reflect on what this really means uh, to us and then teaching others. Right. And I think it's a continuous learning process. Right. It's that there's a, there's so much to to learn. It's not like a one time thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, you always don't have to get it right. Uh, no. That's the other thing that I often talk to my clients about because I think there is this you know this this myth maybe that we we have to get these conversations right and really just having the conversation and having the humility to to learn and to say hey I I messed up I was wrong yeah I mean in of course we're you mentioned your scenario and 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 it was a child but my assumption is is that a child got that language and that bias from somewhere, I would assume from the parents. So the other thing that came to mind and we were talking about earlier was the profound responsibility of leadership. And I also consider parents as leaders. (laughs) I think we always don't see it the same, you know, that, oh, you're a leader within an organization. As a parent, you're a leader. You are um, influencing, you know, you, t- you talked about a ripple effect. So tell yeah. me a little bit more about that, your perspective on leadership in this work. Yeah. So I think this is so fascinating, right? When you talk about parents as leaders and for me, it connected me to the values, like what are our core values and how do we embrace our core values? And to me, I, I, I have a core value for respect, kindness, 
and curiosity and, 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 and respect to me is really important because it's all about really understanding each other. And, and when I think about situations like this is that if we can respond with kindness, curiosity, and, and respect, like it, it can really open up to better conversations. Right. Mm. It could maybe even remove some of the bias or the thinking that was like, Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Um, even to like, even like right now, like, I mean, I have two young kids, like two, two young children. They, they ask me a lot of questions too. Like sometimes they ask me like, like, mommy, why, why is my skin color like this? Or why are like, mm. and, and then it's really up to us to educate. Like we really to, we don't want to just stop them from asking questions. Like we were like, that's a good question. Let's talk about this or how, why do you feel this way? Right. Mm. I think that's really important instead of like just shutting them down of being, asking these questions. Yeah, 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 it's it's creating a, a safe space. Yes, safe and space. creating safe spaces is really hard to do. And I think that's why, you know, I I am always um, when I think about the way that I'm coaching leaders or working with individuals um, around culture or DE and I work. There's always this balance of challenge. And like, we can't sit in this too long, right? Like, I think there's a, at least from my perspective, it's like the progress around things like racism and bias and stereotypes, like we got to get a move on, right? Like, like there's that immediacy around that and that we have to address it, but also holding the space for safety to not trigger that survival mentality from somebody else. Because once you do that, once you trigger that that threat response, our brains just shut down. And we we use that primal part of the brain that we often see where people are shouting and yelling at each other and not seeing the other side. And so that's a really hard middle ground to be in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Right. I'm just thinking in the workplace, right. In, mm-hmm. in, in, in the workplace situations. And, and we'll use this example here. When I think about this course I created, um, Actually, I, last year when I was doing a talk for a Fortune 500 company, they brought me in specifically to deliver training for Asian American leaders, high performing Asian American leaders. And the mm. reason they brought me in, they said the challenge they have is like a quarter of their workforce are, are Asian Americans, but less than 5% are in management. And stats, studies have shown mm. that um, Asian Americans are the least likely to get promoted. And so when we look at deep, dig deeper, of like, why? Why is that, right? There's a bias that either... Um, uh, that the bias around Asian leaders are more uh, more passive, more quiet, less assertive, or they don't speak up as much. Those will not see as like a leadership material or quality out there. Mm. And so I think part of that is we need to understand then also from the other perspective, like we may have this, the Western scorecard of how we measure leadership, but I think we also need to look at it from another perspective of how that could also be a strength and be powerful as well. First is already giving them the, um, uh, the deduction, I guess, a mark of like, that hey, you're yeah. not good enough to be a leadership material here. Right. Yes. Um, so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that. Like I've, I remember Angela, when I went to business school, I was told, uh, cause I had the softest voice in class. I was the quietest. And I was told that if I did not continue to participate, I would fail because of my soft voice, like, because like my Mm. classmate would speak up for me. And, and that was like a big moment for me. And I had to really learn to, 
to speak up, but I wasn't always necessarily mm-hmm. the loudest person. Like I, I'm, I am an extrovert, but I'm not necessarily the loudest person. Even when I'm in big groups, I'm usually the more quiet person because I'm a listener, but that doesn't mean I can't lead. I can't organize. I can't host big events there. Right. So we need to really yeah. embrace other people's strengths as well. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point around, uh, you know, Western culture and things like leadership and how we've defined it. And I, I, I personally believe it's, it's, it's flawed. I mean, if you read about the constructs that we use in management books and leadership books, it is very focused on a, you know, white, white cis male persona. Um, and what we know is that leadership outcomes um, that are focused on leading with things like empathy and being strategic and highly contextual and culturally competent, like these are actually the things that get results, but they are very underestimated traditionally in leadership. And so I think, I think it's flawed. Like, obviously we know bias is flawed, so we know this is flawed. Um, So, you know, I think from a leadership perspective or an organizational perspective, to, you know, really identifying, like you said, that bias exists and checking it when we can. Um, and I think that takes a, um, that takes skill. That takes it skill takes to skill. really think outside of ourselves. Yeah. And I think this is where the advocacy work and the, also as a leader being empathetic comes in. So I think as an individual, we need to be able to really take time to recognize our own value right? Because that's part of Mm. confidence building is really recognizing our own value. And we need to start tracking it, documenting it, speaking about it, so that people can also recognize that. And then so if as a leader, if you recognize someone who is, let's say, not speaking up as much or advocating for them as much, how can you create that environment to encourage them or perhaps even acknowledging them to see their own value there? So I'll use an example. Like my, my husband is a highly, he's an introvert. Uh, he's pretty quiet as well. And 10 years ago, we actually went to this course. It was an enlightened warrior training camp where it's highly, I guess, required to really fight for your own life and speak up and all that. Mm. And within our own tribe, like we had our own tribe here, he was always the quietest person. Okay. But we had this one obstacle course that we had to go through that required like problem solving, like really thinking like essentially you're like blindfolded and you had to walk across trusting each other to cross the wire. And people were like all talking, yeah, you got how to do this. And my husband didn't really talk for the entire time. And then like he spoke Mm. up on how to solve something. Everyone listened. Mm. And I I still remember the scenario because, you know, the power sometimes some people may not necessarily be the one like the one always shining or speaking out, but when they speak, they, they're less heard. And we need to create that space as well. We need to hold that space for people, for those who aren't necessarily the loudest person in the room. Because they could have the best ideas. Oh, 100%. Solve a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And they're usually the ones who are listening and consolidating and really, you know, considering other people in the room and things like that. And so that's, that's just, a, I think, a flaw from our perspective and our paradigms around, like, the loudest person who's speaking up is the one who's contributing the most. Not true. People who are in the office, butts and seats, are the ones who are high performing. Not true. Like these are just paradigms we need to break down, and to your point, create space for for others. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is what I'm seeing right now. The work that I've been doing 
I've traditionally been working with a lot of like the individuals one-on-one, but the last several years, organizations have been inviting me to come speak. And I think part of it is they're also looking at ways of how can we retain our employees? How do we really engage our employees? And part of it is getting them to also speak up, advocate for themselves and seeing their own light and value so that they're excited about their future career potential at the organization there. Hmm. Well, I think that's a great segue into how people can work with you. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, you know, and what are some things that you do to help organizations and individuals in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So people typically come to me um, at times, I would say, uh, either they're in career transition or they're really stuck on how to get to the next level. So whether they're not clear of what they want, not clear of their brand, um, how to really brand, promote, and sell themselves effectively. So if you're feeling stuck in that space, like I can definitely help you with that, whether you're an individual or a business owner. And from organizations, typically they'll reach out to me when they are looking to create a training to help really um, elevate people's uh, confidence, their voice, their value, to also improve their um, their morale and employee engagement there. So people can reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn at Diana YK Chan, or on my website at mymarkability.com. I also uh, have a YouTube channel at Diana YK Chan where I constantly create a lot of great long form content, training content on these uh, topics uh, as well. Uh, also active on uh, Instagram there. Oh, the other thing I want to mention that I forgot to mention, Angela, is um, I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. So currently I have a course on navigating bias and stereotypes as an Asian American professional. Definitely check that out. I think for organizations, this is a great bite-sized nine-minute course to learn about the different bias situations, how to deal with that. So I think that's a great course I want to promote. The other one is on how to pivot your career. I have another one on presenting with confidence and another one launching today on networking in the digital age. And then another one coming in a couple of weeks on how to increase your visibility at work. So these are the type of courses I'm creating this year to help individuals and, and organizations there. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes so people can check you out. Uh, Diana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. I know that that can be a vulnerable moment. Um, so want to just thank you and send gratitude for that and sharing your experiences with us and Hope to have you back soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Angela.